Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It is Thursday, November 18th. And uh, yeah, there's something big to talk about. Justin Fuente has been relieved of his duties. We're going to break that down, talk about uh, you know what that means for the Hokies, what's next. Uh, we'll look at Duke in that game a little bit. We'll preview Miami. We'll bring you our Week 12 ACC picks. We'll go around and, and uh, recap Week 11. But before all that, Tim, what's going on? Oh, you know, just same old, same old here in Hokie Town. Um, I'm assuming we're going to have a great pod, but I want to be sure we don't lose sight of the fact that we're a week away from Turkey Day as of the day that this recording goes out. So we need yeah. to give the best holiday on earth its due. And I certainly look forward to eating myself silly and watching a whole lot of football. Um, and we're almost there. We're almost there, Justin. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't looked at the slate of games yet. I know the Lions are playing the Bears. So yes. we could only hope the Lions get their first win of the season on, uh, on Turkey Day, which I really hope they do. Yeah. Uh, the Cowboys, I have no idea who they're playing. And then there's that late game now, too. So I don't know. I don't know who. Uh, who's playing that this week, but, or next week, I should say, but we'll find out what's um, the late game. What's the go-to for you on Thanksgiving this year? What are you looking forward to the most? No, I don't know. I'm one of those weird guys that likes the green bean casserole. I mean, that's nowhere near the top of my list, but I am an all sides, almost no Turkey guy. Turkey's okay, but Turkey is the blank canvas that the rest of the sides kind of do their thing on. So Mac and cheese is great. Dressing is awesome. Uh, stuffing, if that's what you call it. Um, love it. Can't wait sure. for it. My Nana's got a special recipe um, that she typically or, or used to make when she was here. RIP Nana. Um, that's fantastic. You only get it once a year. And I'm going to hustle up some of the best gravy ever this year. I'm going to make sure to use the giblets in the turkey neck. Um, yeah. You know, get it all nice and flavorful. So, now, man, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if I have like a one favorite other than pretty much all of them equally. Um, and ham, when ham shows up, it's always a great Thanksgiving. Um, See, that's that really makes me happy is to get that get that ham out there because the ham, the ham always kind of carries home the plate for me. I'm a big oh, yeah. ham guy. Me too. Um, I always go for the turkey leg. I yep. think that's a fun thing to eat on the turkey. You know, you don't get it. Very often, like you just got a big old, big old turkey <laughs> leg, and just you're just sitting there feeling, feeling well, like a man. Dark, dark meat is superior to white meat in every regard. So, it's, um, especially on turkey. Oh yeah, especially oh, yeah. on turkey. Yeah. The, the thing with turkey is it's so easy to dry it out. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you go wrong with the turkey. So, yeah, I uh, I deep fried it one year, probably four or five years ago now, um, and that was good. That was pretty solid. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we're going to go over to the uh, sister-in-law's house this year. So, you know, we'll see, uh, see what's in store, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to those sides. Yeah. There's no doubt. There's that one car that always goes by at this point every night. And I don't know what it is, but it sounds like it's got like an outboard boat motor attached to it. Yeah. So. I could, I could hear it faintly. Yeah. It's the um, only car you'll ever hear out here. Um, cause the road's quite a ways down, but so yeah. let's, uh, let's jump into it, Tim. Um, Justin Fuente era is over. 
Boom. It's over. So it's it's come to an abrupt end uh, after six years, almost six full seasons. Um, Wits decided uh, enough is enough. And uh, it sounds like this had probably been in the works for a while trying to negotiate the buyout. Sounds like they're going to do a lump sum, which is probably why the, the buyout came down. Otherwise, there's really no reason to agree to it um, if you're Fuente. But it's um, it's interesting to look back on because the Fuente era started strong, you know, 19 and 8 in his first two seasons, an ACC Coastal title in 2016, ACC Coach of the Year in 2016, had the come-from-behind Bell Bowl victory, recruited Gerard Evans in 2016. And really recruiting-wise, the first three years, 17, 18, 19, they were on track yeah. for what a normal Virginia Tech program is, which is a mid-20s recruiting, 20, 26, 24, 26, respectively. But then after that, that's when things really started to kind of go awry. And then, you know, of course, there was a, a contract extension thrown in there, which complicated things. And after the 19 and 8 start, he finishes 24 and 23 in his career, his final four seasons. Yeah. A losing record against FBS schools. Losses to Old Dominion, Liberty, Duke, Syracuse. The Old Dominion loss was a, you were a 29 and a half point favorite and lost to a team that ended up winning four games. So yeah. it wasn't even a good Old Dominion team. Liberty was a good Liberty team. So you can kind of get past it. It's just, it's Liberty. It's that kind of thing in your head, right? It's Liberty should never be Virginia Tech. Old Dominion had no business being Virginia Tech that year. You had the 76th ranked recruiting class in 2020, 43rd and 21, little to no focus on in-state recruiting, brought a Texas mentality, which resulted in a number of three stars, uh, a whole lot of decommitments uh, or short-term stays that barely lasted a year. Then on top of that, you had the anointed quarterback whisperer, but next to no development at the position. Yeah. And he only had one quarterback start more than seven games in two seasons. And he was here for six years. It's atrocious. So just think about that. That guy was Tendon Hooker. Um, Obviously, he developed him really well. If you've uh, been paying attention, we've talked about that. Uh, you had a multitude of distractions with your coaching staff or bad hires, you know. Uh, Mike uh, Nizalek, I think I'm saying that right. If you're on Twitter, you know who he is. Roanoke Times had a really interesting and uh, damning story today. Yeah, yeah he um, did. I recommend you go read it. The article titled how former Virginia tech coach, Justin Fuente found himself to be a man on an Island. And there was a blurb in there about Brad Cornelson, which was absolutely wild. And it was basically um, from a source anonymous talking about how Brad, Brad would basically rip Burmeister for making a solid play, but throwing to the guy who he wasn't supposed to throw to. So apparently Brad is such a micromanager. 
you go into every play knowing exactly where you're going to go with the football. Loves the also wouldn't allow Burmeister to do any option reads. Sounds similar to some things that we've heard as far as getting ripped um, from Gerard Evans um, from a certain interview um, on Don Fee Fridays. Uh, you know, that happened in the beginning. This is happening towards the tail end, what we're reading now. Frustrating because, and what kind of blows me away, Justin, is this isn't an issue that someone on the staff shouldn't have been able to speak up about or at least mention and say, hey, you know what, defense or offense should be able to look at this and say, guys, I'm not sure taking the read out of the read option is the way to do this. Because what, what you're doing essentially is you're turning a read option into a predetermined play. The strength of the read option is being able to on the fly decide whether you want to keep the ball as a quarterback or hand it's not a read option. If you're not letting the quarterback read it, right? It's just a handoff. It's just it's a, a designed run. And what may be more appalling, and I didn't mean to cut you off there. I don't know if you got to the, to it on the quote or not. Um, was the part on dictating which receiver the quarterback would throw to on each play, which is almost impossible to understand. Um, I mean, there are many times where we've said over the past five years, we we're, we we well, we always seem to have one read quarterbacks. Now I'm not now I'm not sure whose fault that is. We talk about the lack of development at the quarterback position. How the hell do you expect a quarterback to develop when you won't even let them go out there and play the damn position? Blows my mind, honestly makes my blood boil a little bit. And I don't want to hear ever again about the quality of Justin Fuente's ability to manage a football program, more specifically an offense. Because if you can't sit there and it's an elementary understanding of the sport of football and how this offense works, the, the literal play it's predicated on and say, we are completely neutering this and we're killing our quarterbacks. Justin, that's one of the most damning things I've ever read about any offensive coordinator in, in college football, in pro football. I mean, what do you – I don't know how you can read that and ever hire that guy to be – That's what I mean. It's negligence. Anything other than a positional coach. Um, and he needs to stay away from the quarterback position. Well, oh, yeah, but he's poison. Unfortunately, we've got two more games of corn because he's still there. But the end is near. You know, I think – the thing that really stood out there for me was you saw it this week with Fuente and the players coming out and supporting him. And, you know, I don't, I don't think any of the players had an issue, at least that are there right now with Justin Fuente. Doesn't seem that way. But the big issue with Fuente has been his management and oversight of the program. And that kind of, full circle back to Mike's article here in the Roanoke Times, the man on the island, is Fuente didn't want to engage with anybody. He wanted to do it his way. He wanted to communicate how he wanted to communicate. He didn't want to engage the fan base. He didn't want to engage former players. He didn't want to engage donors. He didn't want to engage recruits. And that could work at a place like Memphis where – to be quite frank, nobody really gives a shit. Yeah. Nobody cares. Okay. Memphis is a basketball school. You know, you can do that at Ball State. Okay. You can do that at Kansas. Nobody cares. 
If you do anything, you're you're applauded. Oh right. wow, great! Oh wow, we we won eight games this year. Oh, I'm mean, we're in the AAC championship. Oh, phenomenal! That's all. That's great. That's great news. Well, when you're at a school like Virginia Tech, it's different, and I think that's where Fuente just for whatever reason was unable to grasp it. And he got better towards the latter part, but it still wasn't good. It still wasn't anywhere to where it needed to be for a program like Virginia Tech. You have to be a guy who is going to engage the community, the fan base, former players, recruits, or else you're you're not going to make it. It's just not going to happen because you're the CEO. You're going to be less X's and O's when you're the head coach. Now, I'm not saying that you need to stand there and just be a statue on game day or during practices. Like, you need to have management over your staff. And well, he did that's that where too. he also failed. That's where he also failed. Yeah. Because he refused to make the hard decisions. Well, and the thing that really, really caused a rift early was exactly what you talked about because it was the opposite of the way it had been done under Frank Beamer, which was a welcoming family program, um, very open, great when it comes to alumni relations. And then as if it hit a fork in the road, it completely changed seemingly overnight. And that never sat well with anyone. Um, The recruiting thing is even harder for me to understand, Justin, because it honestly feels as if it shouldn't be though. We did because it goes to the high school football level. The coaches, yeah. he Agreed. didn't engage. Agreed. But we, we got engage. to the point where, honestly, if it seemed like a kid wasn't interested in us, we didn't even try to recruit him. We, we just care. let him go where they were going to go. And all of a sudden, we're recruiting the same two and three stars in Texas that we have down the road from us. For what reasons? And ben, nothing irritated me more. What, what class was it? Three years ago, maybe? We had two or three players from the state of Virginia in our recruiting class. That should have sent uh, there off. was, I think 19, we had one. Yeah. One, maybe it was that should have set off alarm bells falling off the ceiling that we were yeah. massively stepping in it. And we continued to accept this closed off nature of the football program. We continued to accept what was clearly um, recruiting. And, and I won't mischaracterize it, We'll attempt. We'll, we'll say that there were attempts made at some bigger players, and we were really trying to put up a fight with some people. But it surely didn't seem like it. I'll tell you another big issue for Fuente, for me, and this goes in the face of, and it's one of my reasons why when we talk about reasons, or what kind of traits we're looking for in our next head coach, this is a big one for me. Fuente was one of the worst coaches at hiring assistants that I may have ever seen at the Power Five football level. Um, You talk about a guy that hired assistants that lacked the experience recruiting that you needed to make a huge impact, especially when the results started to turn around and we really started to fall on our face recruiting. And we had a chance two years ago to really address that. And we didn't do it. And now you see a guy that's hiring while he's leaving Brad Cornelson in the position when he's clearly over his head. He's not making proven recruiting hires at position coaching positions that he can use to bolster a weak recruiting staff. He didn't do it. He, he, he went over, went with, okay, give me the coaching experience guy versus the guy that is a proven recruiter that will go out there and get after it. And he didn't do it. And that speaks to his inability or his uncomfort with managing a football program in quote unquote, big boy football. And he honestly, he managed Virginia tech. Like we were a group of five school for six years. 
And this is what you, this is what you get now. And, and we, there will be a lot of digging out of a hole with this program. Thankfully, because of the transfer rules that have been implemented, you could argue that maybe it won't be quite as long of a rebuild as it naturally, you know, would naturally be, but my goodness, I, I really can't get over what position we were put in. And when we read that article, it, we already knew most of these issues. But when you see right. it summed up like that, it is just, it's hard to imagine the multiple levels of failing that occurred both administratively and internally with Fuente to allow the football program to get here. Because there were a lot of these issues that Whit Babcock should have picked up on if he had been, in my opinion, looking at the right things with the football program and trying to get corrected. Now, in his credit, I think some of that started to happen towards the tail end of the Fuente era. Um, but, you know, there were some times where you could look at some of these resumes and some of these coaching hires and, and sit down and say, hey, man, do you need more money? What's going on? Because a lot of people want to throw out in this coaching search, Virginia Tech doesn't pay its assistants money. These guys are getting paid what they're worth. I mean, if Fuente needed more money, he could have asked for more money for an assistant or two. But I, I mean, too, if you look at it, like Fuente is one of the highest paid coaches in the ACC. Or exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's not like Virginia Tech is trying to work on a budget that is fit for, you know, Indiana State. Like, that's just not accurate. And if you look at the facilities that have been upgraded, you know, over the last couple of seasons, like, there's plenty of money pumping in there. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. do we have Alabama money? Do we have no. Texas A&M money? No. But guess what? Money doesn't solve your issue. We got McDonald's money. That'll get us something, man. It, it just doesn't it, – it's nice to have, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, going back to the community thing, looking at some of these jobs, you know, if you – well, first, let me, let me talk about this. I think the thing to look at with Fuente is even though it got bad at times, there were critical points to where it felt like it was turning around. So we go to the, the 2019 season after the embarrassing loss to Duke. It's the year after the Old Dominion loss. Right. And the best hire he made, in my opinion, was Gary Kill. And he was okay. there as a consultant, essentially. And that really kind of turned that season around. Things started to change. And then Gary Kill left, and it literally just went back to what it was. But – I think Witt gave him six years, which is an eternity in today's age. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And I mean, I'm not like happy Fuente got fired. Don't get me wrong, because that means Virginia Tech failed. You know, that means Virginia Tech is in a bad situation right now. It's in bad shape. You hire a coach, you want it to work out. But coaching's hard. Most coaches fail at the Power Five level. Now, some coaches have success. They're not having national championships. They're not winning national championships. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. Dave Dorn at NC State. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Paul Christ at Wisconsin. Like, those guys are building nice programs. You know, Paul Christ can occasionally have a shot at a, a college football playoff. Hasn't gotten there yet. But they're winning nine, ten games a year doing what they're supposed to be doing at these kinds of programs. And when you're at these programs, when you're not at the traditional blue bloods or these programs that just have gobs of money, like that's 
That's your goal. Your goal is to compete. Your goal is to win your division or your conference, compete in the conference championship game. And then if, if you are lucky enough to put it all together, you've got a shot at competing for a national championship, which will then turn into a playoff, which is four teams right now, which is a joke, but then into an expanded playoff, which will be, you know, eight, 12 teams. But for whatever reason, for Fuente, it just didn't work out. And there are very few schools that are going to expect national titles every year. And most of those schools that do aren't even close right now. You yeah. look at USC. They've been bad for years since Pete Carroll left. Trash. Left them with sanctions. Texas, they just lost to Kansas. One and eight, Kansas. Texas A&M, probably the school that has underperformed the most of any college in America, if we're being honest. When we look at resources, when we look at expectations, it is the wealthiest fan base, alumni base, I should say, out there because it's a huge university. You're sitting there right in the heart of Oilville, Texas, and you've got just people that can burn cash and don't care. They don't win. They don't even win their freaking division. And so it's like these schools expect national titles, Michigan, Penn State. Where are they at? Um, that's a good and question. Not in the national title game. Not in the national title game. Barely sniffing it. Yeah. And you, you, you get the benefit of the doubt when you're Michigan and you jump, you leapfrog Michigan State in the polls when each of you have a loss, but your loss is the Michigan State. Yeah. That's the benefit that you get when you're a blue blood. I guess when you're like Michigan. So my point is VT is not that type of program, but I firmly believe it is a program that has the ability to win a national championship. We've already seen it before. They've gotten to a national championship. They lost the game 46, 29. Okay. The Florida state, but it all has to come together at the same time, which is very difficult to do. And there were plenty of defenses that were national championship caliber under Frank Beamer. They just didn't have the offense to go with them. Yeah. So you saw you saw losses or you saw disappointments. But I think the Hokies are they're just in a rut right now. And that happens across college football. You know, if you look at all these different programs, it happened to Alabama in the 90s and early 2000s. Alabama was nothing. They sucked. People were going into Alabama's backyard and they were taking any kind of recruit that Alabama would never have an issue getting. Now Alabama's up, obviously. They're the program in the country. Mm -hmm. But it's going to come back down eventually. It will. It's just inevitable. It's going to happen. Happened to Notre Dame. It's happening to Texas right now. It's happening to USC. It happens to everyone. And I think right now, you got to look at Virginia Tech as a microcosm in the historic aspect of college football because they didn't get to big boy football until year five or six under Beamer when they finally got into the Big East. So the sample size is small. And basically from 95, 96, all the way through 2011, when's the last season that we qualified for a, you know, New Year's Six Bowl or whatever they were called back then. You know, we, we, we haven't been there. It's been about a decade. It's been 10 years. And we can get out of it. You just got to start making the right hires. So that's kind of my take on the whole thing. 
No, you're absolutely right. And I'm with you. I mean, I don't think any, no one in Virginia Tech's fan base is has expectations of national titles, but the beauty of the way the college football playoff is set up and the beauty of being on the coastal side of the ACC means that in theory, we have a nice road to get to the college football playoffs. Once you get to the college football playoffs, it's a playoff. I just watched the Atlanta Braves win the major league baseball playoffs after being the worst playoff team to make it uh, to the postseason this year. And anything can happen in a playoff, but our expectations as a fan base are to be competing for or be close to division titles and playing for ACC championships. And we're so off from that right now that it feels like a distant shout to even become a possibility, but that's where we should be. And we need to make sure that our expectations are in line with that and that we don't have our frame of mind and what we accept as a program change because we've been hit over the head with the financial bat over the past four years and every other excuse that could possibly made to defend a coaching staff that after everything came to the carpet here was not worth defending. So please Mm -hmm. let's retool ourselves here. We know where we want to be. We know where we should be as Virginia Tech. And when you look at the numbers financially, which Babcock hit on the presser, um, they're not as dire as everyone made them seem. Now, I realize a lot of that has turned around recently. Thank God it has. The work that's been done has been important. And if Fuente's legacy at Virginia Tech is anything, let it be known for the guy that played a part, was a catalyst in this movement to really address some of the funding issues, the facilities issues, and those kind of things. Because I will say, uh, Chuck Amato at NC State, that was one of the great legacies he left for NC State is when he got to NC State, uh, their press box was a, was basically a double wide trailer in the sky. They had facilities that were falling apart. Um, when Chuck Amato came over from Florida State, that refresh paid dividends years in the future for Tom O'Brien, um, Dave Doran, even as he sits and, you know, he's got the Murphy football building outside and all those nice buildings, all of that was started with Chuck Amato. So this right. could be a rebirth of the Hokie football program. And part of this rebirth could be because of good things that Justin Fuente did. Now it was the right time to let him go. It was past time to let him go. If it was up to me, he would have been gone two years ago. That's neither here nor there. He's finally gone. I will, I will say one last thing. And that's this, this faux pearl clutching about any sort of criticism or happiness that others may be feeling that Justin Fuente lost his job that I'm hearing from people is so tired and it, 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 it's not genuine to me. I mean, you hear so many people come out and say, oh, well, I'll never be happy when I hear someone loses his job. I'm just, I'm above right. that. Guys, he lost, he got paid $8.75 million to get fired. Have you ever gotten paid $8 million to be fired? Are you kidding me? We could be yeah. all happy all we want. Fuente's laughing all the way to the bank right now. Don't feel bad for the guy, okay? A lot no. of this stuff was firmly in his control, and he failed like a lot of coaches do. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. please don't get on your high horse and you know look down at people who are happy because it's been a hard few years for a lot of Hokies. And – there is a lot to be happy about with this coming rebirth. Um, we'll call it a rebirth. Uh, you know, we're happy to see. I think they made a great hire in J.C. Price, getting him as the interim head coach. Absolutely love it. Uh, you know, there's a lot to be happy about. You know, and you mentioned the new coach coming on. I guess I'll pose this question to you. 
what are your like three top three traits that you want to see in a new head coach at Virginia Tech? Because I've got, I know I've got three that are extremely important. Um, somebody who can sell, build, and unite a football team and yeah. a fan base, former players. You know, and I, I think, you know, we don't need we it's not like we need like the greatest coach of all time. Mm-mm. You know, there, there was a story about Mac Brown when he was at Texas and the governor of Texas at the time, Rick Perry, it was his wife's birthday and somebody showed up with a helicopter at practice to get Mac Brown and said, we're going to Rick Perry's wife's birthday party. You need to make an appearance. And his comment was, well, I'm trying to get ready for whoever the opponent is. And they're like, it doesn't matter. You got to go. We're never going to be at that level. But that's what the Texas job is. Yeah. The Texas job is campaign, keeping your donors happy. The people that are bringing in the money for the program, you work for them. Yeah. Okay. And your coordinators, the guys that you hire, those are the guys, the important people to put into the program to really kind of bring everything together. You sell the program. You're the voice, right? You go out there on the recruiting trail. You're pitching your your scheme. You're talking to the media. You're talking to fans. You're talking to former players. You're bringing everybody together, building that excitement. You're the seller. And then you let your coaches coach. And I think that's what we need. Fuente was not that, you know, I don't know if Beamer was to that extent, right? Mm. But Beamer was very involved. Um, And I mean, I think Virginia Tech has to find that happy medium, right? But we definitely need somebody out there who can go in there, shake hands, kiss babies, whenever it needs to be done, without any questions asked, without blinking an eye. Like, oh, this high school coach and, you know, Hampton Roads or this high school coach and, you know, Henrico, Virginia, Highland Springs, you know, oh, you know, their kid did something great at school. Uh, You know, it's their niece's graduation. Oh, you know, his uh, nephew had a slam dunk on the basketball team. Like, those are things that they need to know about. Mm -hmm. It's a sales job. And so that's how you build these relationships. That's how you go in and establish this relationship. It's all about relationship building in college football in your backyard, which Fuente never cared to do. And that's what Frank Beamer was so good at. That's what Shane Beamer was so good at when he was here. Yeah. Bud Foster and all all the guys that they had. They could call him up at any time and just shoot the shit, basically. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in a head coach. There's some guys out there. I don't care where they come from. I just want them to be somebody who they can walk into the room, you can feel confident about, and they can also put good coaches in place, but at the same time make the hard decision when it's not working out. Yeah. Like this whole thing with loyalty, loyalty is what got Justin Fuente fired. Because I really do think if Fuente sits back and takes a year just to sit back and reflect on his time at Virginia Tech, he can look at three or four different scenarios 
where he's like, you know what? I wonder if I wonder if I had done that differently, what would happen? I wonder if we did this. I wonder if we went this direction. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. You know, you play the what-if game. But if you're Fuente and you go to a job and you hire Brad Cornelson as your offensive coordinator, what are you doing? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think you I think you hit on some good points here. So there seems to be something that I slightly disagree with I'm seeing around a lot of Hokies, and that's they want a coach with head coaching experience. And I'm a little different there. The, the kind of experience that I want, I don't care whether this is a head coach or as an assistant coach, I want somebody with extensive series, with extensive experience in big time power five football programs to come on board. I think a lot of the issues that Fuente saw and had was due to inexperience in quote unquote big boy football in the upper power five level. Um, stuff like hiring the right assistants, I think is a part of that. I think that comes with the territory. More importantly, and, and what I think really comes with that is the understanding of what it takes to succeed in the recruiting world in modern football and the kind of go get it attitude, what it takes to always recruit. Recruiting is not a part-time thing. Recruiting is an, oh, I don't feel like it thing. Recruiting is an everyday 365 day. I don't want to say 40 hours a week. So I'm sure you're going to be doing, doing other stuff, but you have to address recruiting daily. Recruiting is the lifeblood of your organizations in power five football. It was clear that it was not as high of a priority for Justin Fuente as it should have been not only in the results, but some of the stuff we have from people, you know, insiders from people that are writing these articles. It's very clear that that was outside of his comfort zone. Um, and worst part exacerbated it. He didn't recruit to shore up that weakness in the way that Mike Young did. And I'm not even sure Mike Young has a real weakness when it comes to recruiting, because honestly, he's got charisma. I mean, he looks like a guy that I would love to hang out with. Um, whereas Justin Fuente, the personality really isn't there. He seems like more of an introvert. Um, and how many horror stories did we hear of parents coming on their official visits and never even meeting Justin Fuente? Should be unacceptable at this level. Now that, that yeah, I mean, but intro introvert or not, that's just that's that's a lack of effort. It's negligence, is what it that's is. That's lack of awareness. Yeah, like you're the head coach. You've got a family there, a, a kid on an official visit, visit, and you can't even say hello. I don't are, even think it's what are lack you doing? Awareness. I mean, he's got to be doing? aware of the fact that he should be saying hello. Um, you know what I mean? So I hate to chalk it up. If there's anything that you do all day. Football game or not, this goes back to the coach, right? Yeah, you're going to show up for the game. You're going to make sure your guys are ready to go. You're going to step in and make the hard decisions when they need to be made. But you're a college football coach at a Power 5 level. There's other things you've got to do. Yeah. Like say hi to the freaking recruits that are in time. <laughs> it's just such a weird thing to have to talk about. Um, but it's, I mean, how many times did we hear it when he was – working. This is not stuff that's come out after. This was stuff that was out two and three years ago. And I remember shooting texts to you panicking because what, what message does that send? I mean, that gets out to every single recruit and every single high school football coach in the state of Virginia. And then whether it's fair or not, you get a label. And in this case, sadly, I think it was fair. I think there was a huge lack of effort applied to recruiting, and that started with the top down. And that comes from a lack of understanding of what it takes 
at the power five level, at the big boy power five level, at the not upper echelon, but the higher tiers of power five where we like to play or say that we play. But since the past five years, our actions has not have not lined up with our ver or our words or our mission, because this is like uh, what list maybe it's the sixth thing on the top 10 uh, Fuente drop balls list. Uh, and I do think that looking for uh, an assistant with that kind of experience, your Alabamas, your Clemsons, because there are a few out there, most namely in Billy Napier and Charles Huff, who I really like those two. Those are probably the top two on my list for those very reasons. The other thing I want to hit on, because there's a lot of talk right now, I know as you've heard, um, there's a lot of smoke, if you will, national writers, message board insiders, however much uh, you want to pay attention to them, that are pointing to Dave Clawson potentially uh, as being Wit's quote unquote guy. Um, to me, this is going to sound bad. I think Dave Clawson is a fantastic football coach. I think he is absolutely the wrong guy for this job because he brings no juice. And the next guy that we hire has got to bring excitement to this program, both for the recruits in the state and for the fan base. I think that's extremely important. And Dave Clawson doesn't even begin to move that needle. The other issue with Dave Clawson, a guy like Dave Clawson is going to bring most of his staff from Wake Forest. That's just how that's going to work. And let me tell you, I realize it ain't easy to recruit at Wake Forest, but if you were hoping to see improved recruiting numbers uh, fairly quickly from Puente, I'd be really skeptical of Dave Clawson being that guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'll, I don't know I'll if I'd be... I think he's perfect for Wake Forest. Perfect. It's two very different jobs, right? Oh, it is. So it's... Um... I don't, I don't know if uh, I'd be upset if Dave Clawson was the choice. Um, I think, but I think at Wake Forest, like you're, you're recruiting a entirely different kind of kid, right? Like you're not going to go out there and compete with Carolina and NC State for the most part. You're competing with Duke and Vanderbilt and kind of those kinds of kids. Well, that's my exact um, criticism: is how do you go from competing with those kind of guys to all of a sudden overnight? Now you're recruited at the power five level. Yeah. The upper echelon of the power. I five think level. you can, I think you can what, figure that, it that out. Was the, to me, it's Fuente 2.0. That's what we banked on with Fuente. And it blew up in our face, like an overcooked hand grenade. Um, we said, okay. I think the difference with Clawson is he's nine and one in the ACC, which again, the ACC is not very good, Pretty but bad. at wake forced. So to me being nine and one in the ACC, is way more impressive than anything you could do at Memphis. So does that wipe the slate of eight years of 500 football? But 500 football is, is good at wake. Like it that's, is, that's the thing. You can't, Jim, you can't compare Jim it Grove, to a Virginia tech result. Jim Grobe did the exact same thing prior to him. Right. Right. So I, I would just say if it's that hard at wake, how have they had two people now do it for a long amount of time? I think wake, I guess the, they're good at hiring that kind of coach. That's what I mean by Clawson being a great, great fit for Wake Forest because you want what does Clawson do well that I think would fit in with Virginia Tech? Develops the hell out of his players. Because mm -hmm. no one has to. Right. Yeah. You, you, that's what you do. If you can't recruit right. with Wake Forest, you're basically recruiting with shackles on. That's what you do. The other thing he does is that guy runs a scheme that is hard to stop on offense, and that team has an identity that recruits extremely well to skill sets that fit that scheme. We would know nothing about that 
at Virginia Tech right now. But if you hire Dave Clawson, I don't, I, to me, that means you've learned nothing from the six years of Justin Fuente. And that, that's all, that's why I would be frustrated. Because to me, we need to do this from Justin Fuente. We need to take a hard right turn. And to me, if you're signing on to say, okay, we want to go with Clawson here, because Clawson had one really lights out season with Wake Forest. And I think his best season before that was eight wins at Wake Forest. Um, to me, that's, that's just, that's not enough. That doesn't move the needle for me. If, if it doesn't move the needle for me, you think that's going to fire up a kid in Richmond who's a junior in high school right now to go play for Wake Forest, 55-year-old coach? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I would like to get somebody young, I mean, energetic that can truly sell a program. Clawson doesn't have a program to sell right now. I mean, he's the, right. he's the head coach of Wake Forest. I think um, the Wake job is a lot like Northwestern, where I take Pat Fitzgerald as my head coach. Mm-hmm. Would you not? I like Pat a lot. Yeah. Take him over Clawson. <laughs> um, but they're in very similar situations, right? Because Northwestern's a school that can win 10 games, but it's most likely going to be a very experienced roster. And then the next year, they're going to win three games. That's and right. That happens. And I mean, that's going to happen to Wake next year. Oh, 100%. Because their that team is like is nothing but seniors. Yeah. So it's an interesting timing standpoint for me with Dave, whether he goes to, whether he goes inside the ACC, which I always think is a little weird, yeah. um, or goes somewhere else. I think now's the time for him to jump. I mean, he, he's not going to be hotter if he wants to jump. Because, I mean, he can go and win four or five games to wait for us next year and doesn't have to worry about anything. Like, he's not going to be fired. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, he's 49 and 46 since 2014, which is about 500, which is kind of like where you think Wake is going to live. So, it is what it is. I mean, I, I like Napier. I like Huff. Um, again, I don't I don't think it has to be a guy with head coaching experience. You, you I don't think that hurts. Do you like those two better than Clawson? Well, I mean, they're just completely, they're completely different, right? Oh, so, totally like, agree. Totally agree. Huff is, Huff is that, like, that politician, right? Mm-hmm. That guy who, my only question with Huff is, he's six and four at Marshall. I have no idea how good Marshall has been, but Marshall's been pretty solid. It's not like Marshall's that, that been bad. That feels like a, a normal season for Marshall. Right. I mean, knowing nothing right now about Marshall. Who can, who can Huff put around him? I think that's we're going to be Huff's coordinator strengths are is being an associate head coach at Alabama. You have to imagine he's got an endless list of folks that he would tab up for that job in connections that are probably endless. Um, the, the thing yeah. I will say is that those two for me are so far and away above Clawson. And I, there's probably people in between Clawson and those two that I would like to see over Clawson to where that's where my, my disappointment would come from in Clawson would only be because we're clearly not learning our lessons from the past. And I want that excitement. We need that fresh face. We need a guy who's going to go out there and hammer every door down of every high school in Virginia over the next three years. And I just don't see Clawson doing it. And when I look at the staff at Wake Forest right now, especially on that defensive side of the ball, man, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, the de- the defense is really know. bad, and I'm not sure. I, I mean, the guy, most the guy out there, the most of your recruiting is coming from your assistant coaches, and those right. are all guys that are unproven recruiters as well. 
So you're really rolling the dice in a hard way when it comes to Clawson. And what is our biggest area of improvement is the relationship aspect and the recruiting, in my opinion. And that's why when I look at a guy like Billy Napier and a guy like Huff, who've been on staff, you know, Huff's case, Alabama was, I think he was rated the number one recruiter by 247 at some point here recently. Yeah, you got Napier who, uh, you know, hell of a recruiter. We can see that in the Louisiana's improvement in recruiting numbers, but also his time spent on staff at Clemson and Alabama. Those two guys get the recruiting side of things. And they're not the only two out there that get the recruiting side of saying things. I mean, you could point to Will Healy and Charlotte, even though the results haven't been there. He's got a fun locker room when they win. But doesn't, that it. doesn't get me excited. But honest to God, I'd probably take Will Healy over Clawson, man. I mean, that's how low I am on, on Clawson. But I, like, I, it's weird saying that because Clawson is a good coach. He's a good coach. My, my top choice for Wake. realistic is Napier. My two. I would want it's Napier or Huff um, for me. One A. The guy that if I could choose who's out there right now, I would go Luke Fickle. But oh yeah, uh, I don't like Luke Fickle's agent, and I just feel like it would always be like on the edge of your seat at the end of each season whether or not you're going to have a head coach or not. Yeah, um, that, that's I just don't be think I don't. I don't think in the long run like we'd be able to afford him over a five to ten year period. Um. Shane, I know you're listening. Come back home. <laughs> Shane put that to lying. bed, which I, <laughs> I knew he, I knew he would. I knew he would. Yeah, he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think we'll probably, we probably won't know anything more next week. Um, I think mm. it is interesting that uh, Napier will be in Lynchburg uh, this weekend yeah. playing uh, at Liberty uh, or coaching at Liberty, I should say. And uh you know, a lot of times, like these head coaches don't make it to campus when they're taking these jobs. Like it's usually like sight unseen. Um, yes, I agree. Blah, blah, blah. It happened with Fuente, I think. Um, and he didn't realize how bad the facilities were when he took the job. Oh, man. Um, so, I mean, that happens. Um, I mean, he, when he interviewed with Baylor, he didn't actually go to Waco. So, um, It'll be interesting to see uh, who, who's watching the tracks and tracking that and what the boards are going to be saying. And I don't, I don't follow the boards. I was going to say, I know time message here. boards have a sorted um, pass. So, but you know, I, I also think, I think anything that you hear is all just BS because wit doesn't too. let anything out of the house. Um, so it's, I, I feel like it's going to be probably somebody we're not even expecting. That's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. Um, and maybe not, you know, um, but we'll just kind of see what happens. I do think, you know, we, we'd probably find out uh, who it's going to be shortly after the UVA game um, because we've got a top 20 class that uh, we're trying to maintain right now, um, potentially adding some guys. I imagine there's going to be some attrition of that class, um, but we'll just have to see what happens. Also, you got the transfer portal. Guys are going to be entering that portal over the next week or two, going into bowl season. You got to get a jump on that. So somebody's going to come in and they're going to have a lot of work to do because if you look at the senior day participants, I mean, there were some big names on that list. You had Amari Barno, Jordan Williams, Shamari Connor, Jermaine Waller, Ty Daly, Brock Hoffman, Lasita Smith, Silas Zanzi, James Mitchell, Trey Turner, Drake Dooley, Johnny Jordan, you know, John Parker Romo, kicker. I mean, 
that's a whole lot of starters that is reeled off right there. Yeah. And there's a good chance some of those guys are back and there's a good chance none of them are back. So um, I think that's going to happen, especially, you know, as you have a change into the guard and, you know, maybe guys want to have a prove it year and don't want to stick around and, you know, have to learn a new system with the coach who, you know, maybe they're not interested in playing for. So that's uh, that's going to be something to watch. So this this new guy who comes in, he's going to have uh, he's going to have his work cut out for him. There's no doubt. Um, but I think. Um, I, I think it's doable. I think you can come in. I think you can win quickly at Virginia Tech. The ACC is very winnable right now. You've got an experienced pit team that's going to fall off next year. Miami, who knows what's going to happen with them. The Coastal is going to be up for grabs. I mean, that's that's what you know. That's that's the way it is every year. And really, it kind and, of looks like yeah. the Atlantic's up for grabs, too. Transfer portal. I mean, it really changes the game. I think we look at these coaching transitions through the lens of, you know, a 10-year-old to 15-year-old viewpoint where it felt like three to four years minimum, you would have to wait until a coach really got into a swing. Now with the transfer rule and your ability to identify weaknesses in certain positions and recruit to them with proven players changes the game a little bit. Um, and we'll see where it goes. I'm like you, I don't think it's going to be a huge three to four year rebuild. I think within two years, um, hell, maybe even next year, make a little bit of noise. Uh, certainly not winning any ACC titles, but it's, it's there. Virginia Tech is prime right now when it comes to facilities, donations, Money's on the uptick. The commitment from the administration seems to be there. The path to the championship game is laying in front of you. It is gilded. It is just waiting for somebody to come in here and take it. And, oh, yeah, you have the best game day atmosphere in college football and the best fan base in the United States waiting to greet you. There's a lot to like about this Virginia Tech job. And uh, it'll be interesting. And you've got the state of Virginia that has a ton of talent. Football wise, a ton, the mid Atlantic. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's, it's not like. It'd be great to get a DMV native in that role, like Charles Huff, who also went to Hampton. So, so let's, um, let's talk about Duke real quick. And then we'll, uh, I have no idea where we're at on time. So we're just going to have to get rolling. Yeah, we're, we're going long. So we can, uh, we can hustle. So Duke, good to get a win at Lane, finally. Yep. 48-17. I guess, uh, you know, we just needed to talk about the Hokies' lack of production. You know, we mentioned the David Hale tweet last week about the uh, lack of 500-yard game since 2018, the loss to Old Dominion. Well, they had 573 yards of total offense last week. So <laughs> You're uh, we just needed to bring it up. <laughs> That's right. uh, Burmeister threw for three touchdowns, career high, finished 9 of 15 for 215. Oftentimes was just thrown to wide open receivers. I mean, the Duke defense was really, really bad. Um, you know, he did leave the game injured for a bit. Kadem came in, went two for 367 yards, did miss a wide open Trey Turner in the end zone for yes, no doubt a touchdown, but. Uh, the Hokies snapped a three-game losing streak, first win in lane since their win over Richmond. Um, but you're going against an ACC team that is one in 15 in their last 16 conference games and the worst Power Five conference in the country. So, you know that's your grain of salt. The big takeaways for me, I felt like Tech dominated the line of scrimmage. 
the offensive line, the running game looked like last year's version with Khalil Herbert carrying the ball, except this week it was Raheem Blackshear. Uh, massive holes, you know, by far Blackshear's best game in a Hokie uniform, oh, yeah. one ACC player of the week. Uh, Kashawn King got into the mix, you know, basically the first time this season. Um, had some big plays. Um, he ended the day with 34 yards rushing and receiving combined. He had 137 yards combined in, in that game. So big day for King. Uh, King and Blackshear both combined for 294 total yards. Burmeister added 71 on the ground. Malachi Thomas didn't really get going. Only seven carries for 10 yards, but he really wasn't needed. I thought the thing that really stood out to me, Tim, and I, I was just waiting for Duke to go to it, was did they just forget about Mateo Durant? They must have. It's like it, it was like, like the game plan was to not use their best player on yeah. offense. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what went wrong. I mean, there was plenty of opportunity for them to get back into that game in the first half. He finished with 10 carries for 33 yards. I mean, it was it was mind blowing. They yeah, just weren't giving ridiculous. Them um, no. so that to me was a big reason they couldn't get going. I mean, I think Duke offense was getting blown up that offensive line, four sacks, seven tackles for a loss. Um, they did struggle. Hokies did struggle to stop Jordan Moore late in the game, but by that point the game was over. So yeah, that was my yeah. recap. That was a, that was a good recap. Surprising offensive outburst. Although, you know, if it was going to happen, a team like Duke was who it was going to happen to, and, yeah, their lack of use of Durant just made no sense to me at all. If they were going to have a shot to come back at that game, they were going to need to do it on his back, and it just never really materialized. Um, and by the time maybe they could have salvaged anything or started scoring some points, there was no point in giving him the ball. So I thought really poor game planning from Duke. But that's something we've seen all year. They've just looked largely dysfunctional, and Cutcliffe you, cannot you got to think Cutcliffe is gone. No, you have he, to. He's got to be. He's got to be. I, I can't see him lasting. And we mentioned Will Healy's name before. I think Duke is an ideal landing spot for Will Healy. Um, you're looking for a yeah, guy he beat to bring Duke earlier this year. That's right. Well, that's right. I mean, he's already shown that he can, you know, handle the Blue Devils. But a guy that would really bring, bring some juice, much-needed juice to that program, falling up in uh, Cut's footsteps. So maybe a landing spot for him. Other than that, um, it was good to get over 500 yards and the final salvo in Justin Fuente's coaching career at Virginia Tech. Let's uh, look at week 11 in the ACC uh, before the Miami preview. So Pitt 30, UNC 23 in overtime. Panthers hold on. So got up 23-7 uh, in the first half. UNC comes back like UNC typically does, digs themselves these holes, gets back in the game, and then they lose. And that's exactly what happened. Pick it through an interception late, almost cost Pitt the game. Uh, but through his third touchdown of the game in overtime, finished with 346 yards, three touchdowns. Um, and UNC, I mean, I mean, just a, a really disappointing season for them. Uh, by the time they got the ball in overtime, it was unfortunate because it was pouring. Yeah. Um, and Pitt did not have to deal with that. It was raining, but it was not raining like it was when UNC got the ball. Um, and they just couldn't get it together. Pitt made them one-dimensional on offense. I think UNC had like 70 yards rushing. Um, and uh, they came out on top. Yeah, you know, North Carolina continues to be a Jekyll and Hyde team that you can't quite figure out, but none of their results have been good enough to this point when you consider what is a talented roster, and Mac continues to look a little funny in the light, again, doing what Mac does, recruiting extremely well, but the results in the field are not yet matching up to the results off the field on the recruiting trail. 
Clemson 44, UConn 7. UConn opened the game with a kickoff return for a touchdown. Yeah. And then got blanked from there on yeah. out. So DJU, another not so great game. 21 for 44, 241, one touchdown, one pick. Only 129 yards rush for Clemson. UConn's one and eight. Yeah. And this offense still struggled. So Weird season for Clemson. Uh, Louisville 41, Syracuse 3. Uh, just an absolute thrashing. Shellacking. Uh, Cunningham had five touchdowns, four through the air. Syracuse couldn't move the ball at all. I think Schrader had like 40 yards passing, which is fun to think about the game he had against Virginia oh, Tech. Yeah. Uh, Sean Tucker, probably not super happy with his performance. <laughs> I was waiting for uh, that. Wasn't terrible, but 19 carries for 95 yards, but three points, not going to get it done. <laughs> Dino Babers, I, I have a feeling that job's coming over and open. What about Justin Fuente at Syracuse? That'd be fun. Oh, FSU 31, Miami 28. I know I said last week maybe Diaz should come back, but I changed my mind. Yeah, he gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think yeah. he's probably done. Uh, Miami had a great opportunity to win the game. It's fourth and 14. And you allow Jordan Travis to complete a pass on you that a few plays later results in a touchdown. Miami loses. Van Dyke played well in the second half, not so good in the first half, had a couple of big mistakes. Miami took a while for them to even get back in the game. But at the end of the day, they still should have won the game. Yeah. Um, and Miami is just struggling to run the ball 43 yards on 23 carries. That's not going to get it done. Uh, a really bad loss for, for Miami, especially after some success there over the previous three weeks. So, um, two, five and five Miami and Virginia tech teams playing against each other for winner gets a bowl berth. Uh, my, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, yeah, usually it's just us laughing at uh, you know Miami at least in the in the recent beginnings of the ACC. But now, yes, uh, both teams the past few years have been mired in the pit, um, and this is a perfect uh, game to cap off what is a, a disappointing few year run under Fuente for the Hokies, and uh, a certainly equally as dip- uh, disappointing but much shorter run for Manny Diaz and the Hurricanes. Boston College 41, Georgia Tech 30. Uh, this game was tight, and then finally BC pulled away. Dracovic looked uh, back to his old self. Actually, it looked like he uh, had been working on his speed. He had 71 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns. I did not which... expect to see that version during that game after what we had saw from him the week prior. Just right. Very strange he also had all around. 310 yards passing and two touchdowns, so he had a right. huge day. Huge day. Um, but I just – I had never seen that kind of rushing ability out of him. I mean, he can no. get out of the pocket, but he was – he was moving. He was field. he was getting downfield. Um, and, and, you know, thank you, uh, Phil, for completely screwing up my pick last week after you sandbagged it uh, against Virginia Tech. So Fourth time this year, Georgia Tech has given up over 500 yards. They also had a lot of penalties for 95 yards. So not, not going to get it done. Notre Dame 28, UVA 3. Big story here. Brennan Armstrong did not yeah. play. Uh, gave it a go before the game, uh, but quickly called it off. Um, I'd say it's UVA being cautious, but, you know, 
he threw like five passes in warmups and like couldn't couldn't continue. So yeah, I think it it seems like it's a pretty significant injury. Um, obviously, the Notre Dame game really didn't mean anything. Um, the the critical matchup is this week against Pitt, which could be for the Coastal. Um, if UVA wins and then uh, beats Virginia Tech uh, the week following. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's a little bit more serious than that. Um, if he can go against Pitt, seems like he's probably going to be limited, so that's something to watch. But otherwise, UVA just got dominated uh, in every facet of that game. And then uh, Wake Forest 45, uh, NC State 42. This one lived up to the hype. Took a while for both teams to get going. Uh, but once they did, floodgates kind of opened. But what was your biggest takeaway from this one, Tom? Um, just NC State defensive injuries. I mean, they lost two or three more players during this game, and it seemed like as they lost more players, the, the depth just wasn't there to hold what was a really good uh, Wake Forest offensive attack. Um, I thought they did a good job on Hartman, except on third downs. Hartman, the stat line wasn't too impressive, very inaccurate. I thought they pressured him well. Um, the penalty disparity was a little strange to me. Uh, NC State called a really tight game from the officials. Wake, not so much. Seemed like Wake holds on just about every play with their long mesh offense that they have. Um, and then at the end, just a shame that uh, the officials didn't give that onside kick to NC State because to me it looked like the kick went past the 10 yards. Um, Pretty close. Just real crappy that that game was decided uh, in that manner. But, you know, it, it lived up to the billing. It was uh, a great game between two really good teams. And, uh, Wake Forest just had a little bit more and made, uh, I guess, plays in bigger moments on third downs than, than NC State had done. And, you know, that got them the game. And I think a, a crucial interception or two from Devin Leary in that game really sealed the deal for the Wolfpack. All right, let's jump into the Miami game. So before talking about the game, something to note here, Miami did fire their athletic director, Blake James. Um, Could so you'd have to think for Diaz now. Yeah, you'd have to think there's going to be a change uh, at the head coaching position. Diaz is 19 and 15 in three years, five and five this year. Just lost to a bad FSU team, and the school president a few weeks ago said that uh, he's planning to increase involvement and that the university is committed to building championship caliber teams at the U. So something to watch there. Obviously, on the VT side, first game without Fuente. Um, uh, J.C. Price is going to be the interim. Former uh, former Hokie defensive lineman. Just kind of looks like a football guy. God, doesn't he? Uh, look, looks like he belongs on Scott Satterfield's staff. <laughs> like he's just bashing guys with his right. head on the sideline, yeah. no helmet. Yeah, the bridge um, of his nose isn't bloodied enough right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just great selection for, for the interim. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, if you look at Miami – had an up and down season, lost the Eric King for the year, turned to freshman Tyler Van Dyke, who has struggled at times, but then also looked really good at times. They lost Cameron Harris at running back. They struggled to run the ball consistently. Uh, they struggle against the pass on defense. The defense has given up about 30 points per game, but they did have a good stretch before their most recent loss to Florida state. They beat NC state Pitt, and Georgia tech in three straight weeks. All those games, very close, really any game Miami, plays in is close and they're they're in every game the struggle with Miami is holding on to the football right specifically fumbling uh Van Dyke can really make some boneheaded passes at times but 
They seem to find themselves in the game at the end. Whether they win or lose is, is simply a coin flip. FSU, they had them at fourth and 14. Somehow FSU got a first down. They ended up scoring a touchdown, winning the game. Against UVA, they got in range for a 30-yard, 30 30-something-yard 30 field goal to win the game. Blocked it left. You know, a terrible kick. UNC had the ball with 2.46 to go, down three. They're in field goal range. Van Dyke throws an interception. So you just got these stupid mistakes. All three conference losses, they easily could have won those games. Sounds like another team that we uh, that we cover, Tim, that just struggles to put games away that they should be winning. Um, their other two losses, Alabama, Michigan State, they weren't really in those games. App State almost pulled an upset, but they were able to survive that one. Long story short, Miami plays reckless. They're sloppy, but they're resilient. They find themselves in the game for the most part uh, with the shot to win. So I think we should expect the game to be close. I think it will be competitive. It'll probably be kind of ugly, but you know what should we expect from two five and five teams um, at this point in the season? But my uh, my keys to the game, Tim, first one for Virginia Tech, make Miami one-dimensional. You know, when Miami really struggles, it's when they can't get going on the ground. And last week, almost no production at running back. Took them a really long time to get back into that football game. Um, and it cost them uh, down, uh, down the stretch there. Second is to be opportunistic off of turnovers. They're going to turn the ball over. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen. They should just throw the turnover chain across across the field, bring it to our sideline because it is a guarantee that they are going to turn the football over. And when that does happen, the Hokies have to take advantage. They have to score points. Um, it's not a stout Miami defense. You know, this isn't a Miami defense that's going to scare you. It can play good in spots, but for the most part, it's vulnerable. There are plays there for the making. Hokies should be able to score points, um, but making sure whether it's Miami penalty, turnover, whatever it may be, that you're taking advantage of that. And then my third key here, Tim, running the football. Burmeister's a hit away from being out of the game. We've seen that (laughs) two straight weeks. Very true. Um, And, you know, Malachi Thomas, he emerged in the Syracuse and Georgia Tech games. Took a step back last week, but then you had the emergence of Raheem Blackshear, Sean King. So for whatever reason, Virginia Tech has has found this run game uh, over the last few weeks, and they look like a much better offense because of it. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the guys running wide open um, in the secondary like we did against Duke. Miami's not that bad. Um, But, you know, being able to pound the rock, utilize the backs in the passing game, uh, that's what really kind of opened up the offense against Duke what has made them look better over the last few weeks, control the clock, take care of the football. And Virginia Tech should be in in pretty good shape. And, I mean, honestly, defensively, I think they'll be fine as well. I yeah. think, um, you know, Van Dyke is uh, capable of lighting you up, but he's also capable of making a really, really bad decision in a key moment. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, their strength is passing um, on offense. And, you know, the strength of our defense is in that secondary uh, and I, I do see our secondary as a, a ball hawking secondary, which I think maybe we'll be able to feast off of uh, some mistakes from Van Dyke, which we've seen him make. 
Um, you know, you hit on a really important key, which was if we can keep them as far away from that 130 average on the ground as possible and force them into, uh, you know, throwing the ball, maybe even playing from behind. If we can get an early score, things could look good for the Hokies. Um, you know, it's just a, it's always the question when we look at Virginia Tech of is is our offense going to give us enough in this game? Are they going to be able to give us enough in this game? It's hard to really say after the performance against Boston College being so poor, um, obviously seeing improvement against Duke to be expected. Uh, Miami's defense is, is a little better than Duke's, um, and we'll see how much of a challenge they present. It's, it's always going to be an issue with that Virginia Tech offense, and we'll see what we're able to do um, on the ground will be key, obviously, because we can only count on Braxton Burmeister through the air so much. Um, but I like I like you. I mean, we've we've seen Malachi, we've seen Blackshear, we've now seen seen King pop a little bit. Right now, the offensive line seems to really be moving people um, on the interior in the rushing game. So yeah, let's see if we can ride that wave on to a, a win down there in Miami. So let's jump into the Week Twelve picks. Who do you uh, who do you got for this one? It's a seven and a half points spread in Miami's favor. So the spread's difficult because this can go one of two ways. J.C. Price can absolutely fire the team up and provide a voice and a motivation that they haven't had to this point. Or because the players could have been so attached to Justin Fuente and many seem to care for him at a deep level, um, he seemed to really have some good relationships with those players. It could kill them um, and it could take the wind out of their sails. I'm going to be optimistic here and I say uh, Virginia Tech wins the game. So obviously I will take uh, Virginia Tech to beat the spread. Yeah, I think um, I, I I do expect these guys to come out and play strong just from a pride standpoint, um, kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's an I told you so, but to want to go out with a bang, um, whether that's for Fuente or whatever they have to do to rally. But I'm going to put my faith in J.C. Price and the Hokies. I think the guys are, are going to be fit to win this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I think if Trey Turner is literally going to drive in a car down to Miami to play a football game, uh, that yeah. shows you the buy-in that that these guys have right now, even in a five and five season. And uh, to get that win, pick up some momentum going into uh, next week, big game yeah. against uh, against the old Hoos. Um, but yeah, I'd like uh, I like Virginia Tech. I think I'm going to go 34-31 Hokies. Uh, JPR kicks off, kicks a walk off field goal as time expires. That's that's how I'm seeing the game go down. I like that uh, Louisville at Duke. Louisville is a 20 and a half point favorite, Tim. <laughs> Makes sense after what I saw. Makes sense. I mean, there's only there's only been one game where uh Duke has not lost by almost 30 points and the conference, which was the Georgia Tech. So I take yeah. it you're going to take Louisville. I'm taking Louisville. That's correct. Um, Wake Forest at Clemson. This Clemson is a four and a half the, point favorite. This one's tough because if it any is. if any defense can provide a resurrection for that Clemson offense, it is Wake Forest. Um, not a lot to be happy about on the defensive side of the football. The other side of that token is if any defense can neutralize the Wake Forest attack, it is the Clemson defense. Um, right now, did you say Clemson was favored four and a half? Yeah. I'm liking Clemson four and a half. I'll take them to cover the spread. 
I'm going to go Wake. I think this is the year they get over the hump against Clemson. Um, I think NC State's a more dangerous team for Wake Forest than Clemson is. Clemson, they put up 44 against UConn, um, but their offense looked like garbage for most of the That's, game. So UConn's probably the worst team in Division One football right now. Another uh, weird spread, which Jim Moore, by the way, just took over the UConn head coaching job. I don't know if you heard that I one. I didn't but... know that. There you go. Talking Jim yeah, Moore so... Jr. here? Jim Moore Jr., yeah. All right. Way to go. So that'll that'll be interesting. Um, Florida State at Boston College. Boston College is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Weird line. Who you got? Give me Boston College to uh, cover the spread. Um I'm just thinking Chestnut Hill, it's going to be cold. Florida boys, not a lot to play for right now. Um, Boston College, we saw the resurgence of Jerkovic, or Jakovic, I should say. Um, I expect more of that, so don't let me down, Phil. I feel like uh, BC, this is probably like a history spread here because they've always struggled with Florida State to beat Florida State. Um, but from what I saw out of Jerkovic last week, oh. um, I'm, I'm taking Boston college. Yeah. Um, especially at home, Georgia tech at Notre Dame, the fighting Irish are a 17 and a half point favorite tough line. It is tough. Buzz, buzz. Uh, give me Georgia tech to beat the spread. Um, something about this just feels like one of those Notre Dame games where they win by 10 points and they don't look all that great. Um, and Georgia tech has the, I don't know, they seem like they come up in these spots to play up towards their competition a little bit. And, uh, I expect swaggy G to go out there and give it all he's got. So, um, give me the bees. I'm going to take Georgia tech as well. I think 17 and a half is too many points. It is. Um, just don't feel, don't feel good about that. UVA at Pitt. Pitt is a 14 and a half point favorite. Do we know the status of Armstrong yet? We don't. That is, that's the make or break on this game. It is. Because without Armstrong, I don't take Pitt all day. No brainer. But on the flip side, with Armstrong, no brainer. I'm taking UVA to to beat that. Um, So let's, let's make this a, Let's let's say that we we have the right to change this pick. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, because we don't we don't know. Yeah, and I I imagine the line is going to change. It should move quite a bit. So <sighs> I'll tell you right now. I mean, it's simple as if Armstrong plays, I'm taking UVA almost to win the game. Um, that's how strongly I feel about it. It'll be close, but I, I don't think he's going to be healthy. 100% healthy either. Right. Um, which makes me lean Pitt. Good point. Um, That's a good point. Pitt to win. Yeah. But yeah, let's let's leave let's leave it as is. Okay. We'll I'm going to take UVA. I'm going to take UVA. Okay. Uh, for now. For and now I would also take UVA. Update our pick. Okay. Yeah, you can you can throw a Cav logo over my name and I'll vomit when I see it. But I feel like if Armstrong is a go, that line will move down to like eight and a half. Yeah, that feels right for that. Uh, Syracuse at NC State. NC State is an 11 and a half point favorite. 
Oh, NC State all day. Um, they're going to come out still fighting for a see? nine win. <laughs> Last week's Syracuse game. <laughs> yeah. um, they're coming out fighting for a 10 win football season. Uh, still got a lot to play for Syracuse last week. What the hell? Um, that NC State defense is still good. Wake Forest makes everybody look silly. So give me the pack to uh, cover the spread. And what's your wild card game of the week? So I haven't actually looked ahead. So I'm going to go ahead and pick one on my phone right now. If you don't okay, mind. I didn't either. So I uh, I can give one to you. Okay, do that. I am going to take Michigan State at Ohio State. Michigan State is 19 and a half point underdog. What? I mean, <laughs> what does Vegas know that we don't? Because that seems like, I mean, that seems like fraud. You serious, Clark? How can, how can you have a 19 and a half point line for a one loss team? I don't I mean, know. Ohio State hasn't even looked that great. That's what that's sure. the part I'm confused about. They're they're acting as if they've got Ted Ginn Jr. at wide receiver and uh, Troy Smith at quarterback. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. That seems mighty uh, mighty too uh, too wide to me. So I think you're making a good call there. Um, I'm gonna look and, and dip in the SEC. Well, that's been good to me as of late. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm thinking about little beams here. Right now, Auburn at South Carolina. Auburn's a seven and a half point favorite. Um, I am not going to pick against anyone with the last name of Beamer. Uh, so give me the Gamecocks to beat that spread. Wow. Now, Auburn had a Matt Ryan-esque Super Bowl loss last week. Not with as yeah. much on the line, but up 28-3 against Mississippi State and blew the game. Yep. Um, so you're and, taking and Bo Nix, maybe South hurt. Khaki, South Khaki indeed. So what does that mean? Does that mean we get to see uh, Demetrius Davis, or is there somebody else? You know, I don't know. I think I was just browsing the Twitter feed earlier today and saw he was hurt. I don't. What was it? Seven, seven and a half. Seven and a half. Okay. Um, South Khaki seven. And I don't half. know. I'd be interested in seeing Dem- 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 you know D play if 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 he was the next man up. I'm not sure if he is or isn't. Um, I know if he played for Virginia Tech, he would be "quote unquote" not ready. So, yeah, shout out to Taj Bullock. So that's our show. Any uh, Tim? Any final words before we wrap this up? Buckle up, buckle up. Nobody knows what's going on. Whip plays everything close to the vest. Don't believe anything you hear. It's all smoke screens. I wouldn't be surprised if we woke up one morning to a text that's saying that Virginia Tech has its new head football coach within the week. That's the kind of silliness that uh, you can expect from these sort of searches and the way everything's gone down to this point. We didn't expect Justin Fuente to be let go before December 15th. That happened on the blue on a random Tuesday. Um, Maybe the coaching search is buttoned up as quickly as the last coach was seemingly let go out of the blue. So hang tight. Possibly. Possibly. Don't Um, lose. Yeah. I, I don't think we'll have a head coach by the time we do this next week, but um could be wrong who knows yeah who knows? maybe but uh thanks for listening um if you could uh go ahead and leave us a review that would be great uh five stars preferably uh we are on youtube now so uh if you prefer to listen to your podcast that way uh you've got a uh, a resource on youtube you can see our smiling beautiful faces um and they are beautiful 
special night. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, go Hokies. Beat Miami. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Go get them, JC.